What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to Burn It All Down, the feminist sports podcast you need. I'm Jessica Luther, freelance journalist and author in Austin, Texas. And on today's show, I'm joined by Lindsay Gibbs, a reporter at Think Progress in Washington, D.C., Shreen Ahmed, a writer, public speaker, and sports activist in Toronto, and Brenda Elsie, an associate professor of history at Hofstra on Long Island. First things first, as always, thank you to our patrons who supported this podcast through our ongoing Patreon campaign. Make Burn It All Down possible. We are forever and always grateful. If you'd like to become a patron, it's easy. Go to patreon.com slash burn it all down. For as little as $2 per month, you can access exclusives like an extra Patreon only segment or a monthly newsletter. On today's show, we're going to talk about the pre-World Cup tournaments and what we are learning about what we might see in France this summer. Shreen interviews Reem Sarah Alouan about a French sportswear company's decision to pull a sports hijab from their line due to Islamophobic attacks and pressure. And then we will talk just a little bit about the NBA season. And of course, we'll cap off today's show by burning things that deserve to be burned, doing shoutouts to women who deserve shoutouts, and telling you what is good in our worlds. But first, before we get into all of that, we got to talk about New York City. Woo! Yay! <laughs> So next week's episode will be coming to you on this feed like normal, but it will be our live show that we will be taping on Friday, this Friday, March 8th at 2 p.m. at on Columbia's campus in New York City at the Stabile Student Center that's in Pulitzer Hall. It's part of the Critical Sport Communities, New Directions in Sports Scholarship, Journalism and Activism Symposium that our own Brenda Elsie is what is the co-hosting? What's the right term there, Brenda? Yeah, You're co-hosting. co-putting it on with Frank Greedy of Columbia. So we are thrilled again, 2 p.m. Friday at Columbia Stabile Student Center. But that's not the first thing that we're all doing. What are we doing first, Brenda? First, we're going to be at Hofstra University on Thursday, March 7th. And we're doing two panels, one on the Black Freedom Movement and sports and the other on gender and sexualities. So that's also open to the public. It's at the Plaza Rooms in the Student Center at Hofstra. It's from 11 to 4. Like there's two separate panels. So we've got it on our Facebook and on Twitter. And then the next day we go to Columbia And that is when there's International Women's Day. So come and celebrate with us at the live recording. And then following that, there's also a conversation between Frank Garidi and myself with Dave Zirin and Michael Bennett about their new book, Things That Make White People Uncomfortable. As it, as like a spoiler, a lot of things make white people uncomfortable, (laughs) apparently, especially especially racial equality. That's something that really makes them uncomfortable. So it's a fantastic day, and I'm really excited, and I think there's no better way to celebrate International Women's Day than to come hang out with us at Columbia. Agreed. Shereen, how are you feeling about it? Are you excited? 
Oh, well, you know how low-key I am about <laughs> that my like the, excitement. Is I'm, that like the... <laughs> I feel like that word doesn't even begin I to get there. I have been collecting <laughs> knickknacks and face masks and pajamas and little <laughs> treats. I'm also really, and this is something I didn't say, I'm really excited to see Jessica in snow. I've heard about Jessica no. in snow and it'll be... No. We can cuddle. It'll be amazing. <laughs> I'm so excited. And, you I'm, know... I'm excited mm. to be in that space. I don't know New York City very well, but to be there with you all is like, I've been watching a lot of A Queer Eye in preparation for this, and I think that it's going to be Wait, amazing. We- <laughs> I, feel, well, I feel like we're the sports feminist version of A Queer Eye. I've had this thought. Like, think about it. They have a Pakistani Muslim. They have a Black person. So do we. Like, I, it's, we're, we're very similar, and we're all fabulous. I've put a lot of thought into this theory of mine that I will share I, and expand I'm on. I'm too afraid to ask who you think I am. <laughs> I know. I'm like, I don't. I don't want to know. Um, totally Jonathan like and Ness. But anyway. I feel like I'm Bobby. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. yeah. I've never oh, seen yeah. it. Oh, I've, I've never seen the show. It's, oh, it's adorable. All you know is your Antony. That's all. And, and, like, it's, that's all you need <laughs> okay. to know. Perfect. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's actually pretty good, Shereen. Uh, <laughs> no, it's not bad. It's not bad. <laughs> Lindsay, talk to us about meeting up with our flamethrowers. Yeah. So look, Friday is going to be a really busy day, but we definitely want to spend some time with you all if when you come. So our goal is to kind of go to a nearby bar, stay a, stay tuned to the Facebook group and the you know, the Facebook event page and our Twitter. We'll have more information on this out there. But please, you know, we will only have about an hour before we need to go over to the Michael Bennett event, which of course we would love for you all to come to as well. But hopefully we can spend some time actually, you know, hanging out and doing our own little a private burn pile. And of course, everyone is welcome to attend to that. It'll just be a casual thing right after the event. Wow. We are so excited. We're excited about seeing each other, but we're also Yay. really excited about seeing you all. And I just wanted to mention that if you go to our website, burnitalldownpod.com, we have an events page now and all of this information is on there. So if you're looking for where to go and when, either on Thursday or Friday this upcoming week, it's all on there. But again, one more time, Friday, March 8th at 2 p.m., Columbia's campus, Stabile Student Center in Pulitzer Hall. We will see you all there. Okay. And now on to the show. <music> Women's soccer. Shereen, want to get us started? Thanks, Jess. So in preparation for the Women's World Cup, to be held in France starting in June. There's a lot of excitement. We do have annual women's soccer tournaments, but these ones are a little more special because they give us a little bit of an idea what we're going to be looking forward to. So let's start with the Algarve Cup. Now, for those of you that don't know, the Algarve Cup is actually in its 26th edition. It takes place from February 27th to March 6th. It's in Portugal in this absolutely gorgeous area. And when I, I follow the Canadian women's soccer team and their photos of just you know going to play and then going to the beaches is absolutely glorious so there are 12 teams that are actually participating Canada Netherlands and although some teams may not be going to the World Cup they're participating for example Denmark so we've got Canada Netherlands Denmark Sweden Spain Norway China Switzerland Scotland Iceland Portugal and Poland so Poland as well will not be attending the World Cup it gives them an opportunity to keep up with international play Norway as you know is without Ballon d'Or winner Ada Hederberg for reasons that she said she didn't feel that the Federation offered equity and she's standing to a Prince of Standing 
on her principles. So that's the Algarve Cup. Currently, I must mention Christine Sinclair, the Canadian Prime Minister, has scored 179. <laughs> My Canadian Prime Minister has scored 179 goals, and she is quickly creeping up on Abby Wambach's record of 184. So she's five within yeah, that. Yeah, she is. Wow. Yeah. So that's okay. pretty impressive. Christine Sinclair to this day has not tweeted herself about this record because she doesn't do that. So unless you're following her in media, you wouldn't know this. Sounds very Canadian. She's fantastic. Oh, God, she's amazing. I love her. As I said, she, she's my prime minister. Next up, the She Believes Cup. That's also happening February 27th, but till March 5th in the United States. I wanted to also, before I jump to the She Believes Cup, I wanted to add about the Algarve. I don't know how it's being broadcasted in Europe. I do know that the Canadian Soccer Association does a live stream of it. So it's available to watch that way. So, like I said, the She Believes Cup is being shown on cable TV, and there are currently six teams. When the She Believes Cup started in 2016, it only started with USA, England, France, and Germany, but they've extended it now to invite Japan and Brazil. Now, most of the matches that have been held so far have had over 55,000 people in attendance which is pretty phenomenal and really, really important. And it's not something that we're going to hear mainstream media, 90% white, disabled body men tell us, but it's something that burn it all down will remind you. There are people who want to watch women's soccer because it is amazing. So that's pretty exciting. She Believes Cup, this is, like I said, this is the fourth uh, edition of this, and it's a uh, to get everybody, you know, going, get excited. Pretty, pretty awesome stuff. England's been faring well. USA has tied with England in what a lot of people consider a bit of a shocker because USA is currently ranked number one and England is number four. I wanted to say also, let's talk about the Cup of Nations. This is a little more low-key for those of us in the Western Hemisphere. The Cup of Nations, it's the inaugural event that's being held in Australia from February 26th to March 6th. And we've got Australia, North Korea, New Zealand, and Argentina. Now, the Football Federation of Australia has all of these matches available to live stream on their YouTube channel for free. So I know the hours are wonky, but if you can figure it out, some of them are incredible. The Matildas are slain. They're number six ranked in the world. The Australian women's team is incredible despite having this huge debacle with their coach being removed. So I think it's really awesome that all of this soccer is happening. It is incredible. I encourage all of you to find it. Or if you can't find it on a regular cable provider, find a shady Reddit stream. It is so worth it. Another really interesting tournament that if people get a chance to see would be really great is the Cyprus Cup. The Cyprus Cup starts around the same time it began on Wednesday, February 27th, and will again go to Wednesday, March 6th. It features a really great lineup. We've got North Korea, the Czech Republic, Finland, South Africa. They're all in Group A. Group B is Italy, Mexico, Thailand, Hungary. And Group C is Austria, Belgium, Nigeria, and Slovakia. So once again, we see a lot of teams that we won't necessarily see at the World Cup. So this is a really great opportunity for these teams and these squads to come in and see what's up there on the world stage 
stage, Cyprus Cup will undoubtedly be held in Cyprus, which is another glorious location, perfect for football at this time of year. And well, it's perfect for football any time of year, but I think it's really exciting because even though some of these countries might not be participating in the World Cup, they can get swept up in the excitement of it in some way. And this is just a little bit of a precursor. So just another one of the amazing tournaments that we get a chance to experience. Just want to add one more thing that I feel is really important before we throw it around the table is that the Rage girls are nowhere in any of these tournaments. And that is very apparent. It will be their first appearance in the Women's World Cup, yet they don't have the resources to afford to go to any of these tournaments. And this is something that I don't think we can overlook. Lindsay? Yeah, I think that's a really good point, Shereen, about the fact that we're not seeing the reggae girls in any of these tournaments. They are having, right now, they're finishing up their camp in Jamaica. And the camp does include two friendlies against Chile. So... That is, at least that is happening, but of course it would be much better if they could be part of a bigger tournament. Brenda, I know that you have feelings. Tell us about them. I have sad feelings. If, if, as Shireen said, this is a preview of the World Cup, we can sort of predict that I'm going to have a lot of painful moments in June and July. Oh, I love you. I mean, let's face it. Like, it's no secret I'm not a fan of Vajau. This is the Brazilian women's coach. And so if we're going to talk the We Believe Cup, which is an amazing tournament and has been really great for, for I think the big story there is Japan, by the way. Really exciting. I love to see this new generation coming up for Japan. But Brazil just shows that their coach, Vajau, just squanders talent indiscriminately. I mean, there's just absolutely no game plan. It's just like, well, I'm just going to throw the world's most talented players on the field and just see what shakes out. It's unbelievable to me. He's never had a winning record on any of the men's te- teams he's coaches, and he's never had a winning record for oh, the women's right. team. And so why yeah. is he still there? Monica looks rough. There's tons of defensive breakdowns. The only thing that did look good, if you can believe it, is Aline looked good in goal. So Japan defeated Brazil 3-1. But my goodness, Japan was on fire. It could have been like 8-1 <laughs> if it wasn't for her good goalkeeping, especially some of the... Some of the really like high saves that she made. I don't know if you saw the highlights of that, anyone. So anyway, it's good to see Japan. They're always like my like secret favorite team. But I do find it really frustrating to see Brazil go from a contender. And then in the last three, four years, they're just not looking like they deserve to be up there with the world's best. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Uh, Shereen? Just to reply, Brenda, but I mean, I think that also gives us, like you said, Alina being really strong in goal. We could say the same thing for Karen Bardsley of the of, of England. Like, she was standout against the United States. And I mean, this is a tournament where we'll also see a lot of stellar goalkeeping. So that could be a plus. We can look at it positively, but I feel your pain about Brazil. Yeah, at least it's Japan mom. that beat them. <laughs> 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 Lindsay, you have a question. I do. Shereen and Brenda, please help me put this into context because you know I'm not an expert here. But USA has not looked great in the She Believes Cup. They're, they've got two draws. Megan Rapino has looked phenomenal. But there's some question marks. How concerned should I be? Bren, Shereen, what I are you thinking? S- 
I want to say that I hope y'all are shivering in your boots because I would love to see. I would love to see uh, the United States. I don't think it's going to happen from France, which is what I've always wanted. But I think there's going to be a lot of competition, and primarily from England. And I want to say from Canada. I think you're going to get a huge run for your money from other places. Hopefully, Australia can stay strong. But this is good. I mean, I'm not like Nadashiko. Okay. I don't know if Japan can come up to that level right now, but they're looking sharp and technically. Yeah sound. Yeah. So I hope there's a little bit of fear because that American exceptionalism makes me nauseous. <laughs> makes I me know nauseous it does. Too. I love this team and they should be better than this. I know no, it's good no, for women's shouldn't. soccer. No, I, but, I, I, I really disagree. I think I think I wouldn't be upset about this at all because think about it. First of all, FIFA rankings are notoriously ridiculous for women. They have no <laughs> idea. That it's just like, a, you know, what the hell grab bag, right? Secondly, there's some questionable like experiments on Jill Ellis's part. So I would well, yes, have a, that's what I mean. Is like Jill Ellis's experiments, like but, but, but now's the time to do it. Now is the time exactly. to do that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you're talking about the fact that like it's Japan and England. Like these are definitely in the top five teams. So I really wouldn't, as much as I like share Shireen's like perhaps excitement at seeing. <laughs> U.S. go down quite frankly. I wouldn't get too worried, Linz. I think you're okay. I think you're okay. And there is something I feel like Megan Rapinoe scoring in an Audrey Lord jersey oh. is enough yeah, to convince jerseys. even me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Ugh. So the Good. U.S. last night, so it was a Sunday, yesterday on Saturday, the USA team, each person picked someone who inspires them, a woman who inspires them to wear their name on the back of their jersey. And it's real sweet. We're going to link to it so you can go through and see who all everybody picked. But there was some, like Crystal Dunn. She was wearing Serena Williams. Alex Morgan chose to wear Abby Wambach. Kristen Press chose Sojourner Truth. Mallory Pugh, Beyonce. And then the one that like really gets your heart is Adriana Franch oh, was wearing Brianna Scurry. So she's in her goalie, goalkeeper. I have one uh, to add. Outfit with scurry on her back, and it was beautiful. Yeah, Shireen. Uh, Carly Lloyd wore Malala. And to be very yes. honest, I never thought I'd see the name of a Pakistani Bhutan on the, on the back of her <laughs> soccer jersey. So I was a little excited about that, too. Yeah. Yeah. Up next, Shireen's interview with Reem Sara Aluan. I am really, really excited to have Reem Sara Aluan on with me today on Burn It All Down. Reem Sara Aluan is an international human rights researcher and a PhD candidate in comparative law at the University Toulouse Capitole in France. Her research focuses on religious freedom, civil liberties, constitutional law, and human rights. Reem Sara's expertise is sought by international conferences, scholarly journals, and major media outlets, including including ABC Australia, Al Jazeera, BBC, France 24, NPR, etc. She has a master's degree in comparative law, and her doctoral thesis explores the practice of Western judges, more specifically in Canada and France, acting as so-called jurislators with regard to the protection of religious freedom, citing current events involving integration of religious minorities. I am so happy to have her here. Her publications appear in leading law and social science journals that include Islam, Muslims, religious freedoms in Europe, a test of faith, 
which was for the Atlantic Council in 2018. Macron's fixed solution is a problem for foreign policy 2018, among many others. We have brought Dream Sala on today to discuss the issue of Decathlon, a French sportswear company that released a sports hijab, but then decided to take back that and they will no longer be selling the sports hijab in France just because of a tremendous amount of backlash and due to, quote, unprecedented wave of insults and threats, unquote, from politicians and general French society. Hello, Rim Sarah. Hello, bonjour. I'm so excited and happy to be here. Thank you so much for being on Burn It All Down. We're thrilled to have you. Now, I have a question for those that might not be familiar. Let's back up a little bit. Currently, in the sporting world, for our listeners that do not know, France, they may or may not be aware, does not welcome inclusion in terms of the veil, la voile, or the like, the foulard, or the hijab, or a veil at all in, in, in French sports. Can you give us a little background? Round on that? Yeah, and actually, not just the veil, it's also the case with uh, kippahs or turban or whatever kind of religious sign, actually. So, for our audience, I need to put things in context because France is really unique when it comes to this. There is an exception française, well, French exception. So, we are a secular state which applies laicite. So just to make things simple, because it's kind of complex. So we implement separation of church and state. We have a law. And basically, our type of secularism makes sure that religious neutrality is imposed on civil servants, right? So the people working for or representing the state, not on the people. So that religious freedom is guaranteed in our constitution, in in the law, and also in international conventions. The thing is, so the people are not religiously neutral. The civil servants are. So that's a perfect system that is quite misunderstood and instrumentalized and manipulated today, because today we want to transform this laicite into a tool to target religious minorities, to erase them from the public space, and especially Muslims at the moment, right? So when it comes to sports, what you have to understand, for example, our different uh, national or local federations consider to exercise a mission of public service. So they have to abide by laicite because of that. They are considered public services. So this is why actually this is implemented. But in reality, so yes, indeed, the hijab is prohibited or any kind of religious science. But in reality, usually clubs always, whether it's football or whatever, always try to, or at least that should be the principle, and unfortunately it's not always the case, to find a balance between protecting this religious freedom, uh, this, uh, sorry, religious neutrality obligation, but also to fight discrimination because sport is supposed to be inclusive. Sport reflects society. Sport is the thing that allow people, regardless of the background, cultural, religious, whatever, to come together and share this special moment, you know, of pride, of having fun, you know, of sharing something unique. Well, and so this is, this balance is quite hard to, you know, to find. Why is it, uh, and just for a clarification, one of the words that Rim Sarah was using for our listeners that don't know, laïcité, literally means secularity. And it is a French concept of secularism that discourages religious involvement 
in affairs, governmental affairs, religious influence. So I'm just, I love how this idea of laicite is brought to sports and how it underlines a lot, as you mentioned, a lack of integration, a lack of inclusion. And we've seen it for those that may not remember a couple of years ago, there was an uproar about uh, Muslim women participating in swimming, on being on beaches, wearing a burkini. And it, it got so, it got so bad that you had French police (laughs) literally ripping off women's headscarves at the beach. Like it was quite violent. And I'm wondering, what is the precedent and the history of French politicians? Like we have ministers that have come out and said things like, you know, uh, hijab and even hijab by choice for those that choose to wear it is sexual apartheid. We've heard things like, you know, you've had um, different uh, like health, the health minister, Agnès Buzyn, say it's not forbidden by law, but then what she says, it is a vision of women I don't share. I have preferred that a French brand not promote the veil. And for those that don't know, Decathlon is a French brand. And Angélique Thibault, who actually created this garment and is one of the designers, said something, and she said she was, quote, motivated by the desire that every woman should be able to run in every neighborhood, every city, every country, regardless of her culture. And to me, that sounds like religious freedom. It sounds like it's a, it's a move to make sport more accessible to people who choose to wear a, a headscarf. Why are those politicians reacting with what can only be seen as contempt and anger? <laughs> Indeed. Actually, it's even broader than that. You have to come back to the 90s to understand the, the broader issues. But like regarding the Burkini, which was uh, simply shameful, shameful, and which was deemed illegal and actually unconstitutional, uh, the case went before our um, administrative Supreme Court, the Conseil d'État, the Council of State. And you're talking about the Burkini here, right? That's what you're referring to specifically? Yeah. Yes. Okay. The Burkini, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because you were referring to the Burkini at first. I mean, it was, first of all, you know, all of those items we're talking about are coming from the West. The Burkini comes from Australia. <laughs> Those decathlon hijab running item, which are basically like hoods with a breathable material, are sold by Nike like for a couple of years now, I think. So those are Western products that uh, that would alone, and nothing in the law prohibiting this. Those are not face, you know, garments that covers your face. Covering your face is prohibited, but those garments does not. They're trying, like with the Burkinis, they basically try to ban a diving suit with a with a hood. <laughs> like it was absolutely ridiculous. So the idea, oh, we want to free you. We are going to free you to emancipate you, but on our terms. We are not going to ask for your opinion because obviously you're oppressed, but we are going to save you or just disappear from the public space and you will be a good Muslim at home, you know? So that's exactly what it is. And, and you know, it's forcing someone to wear a hijab or whatever, or Forcing someone to remove it is exactly the same logic. You are trying to control. It's patriarchy. It's condescending. And I'm sorry, it's everything but women's rights. So uh, when, you, when you were mentioning the, the Burkini at that time, and this is the irony, the then Minister of Women's Rights compared like the whole Islamic, so-called Islamic fashion you know, trend 
she compared it to, I quote, and I won't pronounce the word because it's absolutely offensive, uh, especially in North America, right? Compared to, oh insert N-word, <laughs> who accepted slavery in America. No, no, of course not. That's, that's no, but the yeah, I mean, I'm so sorry for that. I'm not using the word, but that's, yeah. But like, it was a quote. I'm sure that our black women, black Muslim women wearing a hijab might appreciate that, right? I mean, it's, it's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. And can you imagine like women doing a very French thing, you know, Muslim women, French Muslim women, it's their country. They're not going anywhere. Going to the beach, taking the kids to do what the French do, enjoying, you know, <laughs> the view, go swim, have fun. You know, we have absolutely fantastic uh, beaches in France. It was in on the French Riviera at that time. And having the cops coming to you and requiring you to remove it because you like disturbing public order, because it was not laicity. If they use laicity, you know, it would not work. It's not laicity. Laicity would actually goes against that. This goes against separation of church and state. And asking you to, what does it say? Like, you're talking about integration. Those women are doing what everybody else is doing, whether it's going for a run or going on the beach or whatever. They're fully participating to society and we are telling them, actually, you can't because we think, you know, that's not how you should behave. How is that different from, you know, Saudi Arabia or Iran doing, for example, campus or hijabs? This is the same logic. Well, this is the same. And I've said it again and again and like repeated it. And, you know, I retweet you often on Twitter about this because you're somebody I look to with that nuanced analysis. Forcing women out of clothing is as violent as forcing them into it. And I was, I was very disappointed to see that Decathlon actually pulled this item from, you know, from purchase in France due to, but, well, yeah, if I may, they suspended it due security threats, actually, because I think, or maybe I'm too optimistic, you know, free market, right? They did the study, this product will work. You know, it's like supply and demand economic model. <laughs> like it's math, it's math, right? I think it will come back maybe in a more discreet way, but maybe I'm wrong, but at least I want to believe that's what's going to happen. And, and, you know, there is a free market. You can get that on Amazon. So, I mean, you know, Muslim women or, you know, Jewish women or Sikh women won't stop doing sport because of a stupid, shameful outcry. You know, they're here, they're here but to it, say But it's it, right? disappointing. It's disappointing in this thing because the politicians... Uh, no, I understand. I understand. Yeah. But it was a security threat, yeah. like literally yeah. death threat. Against so I, I, against the company. the company and the employees, like on Twitter. And, and if I'm not mistaken, I think I read somewhere even in, in certain stores. So they had basically to count things down, but I want to believe, and if, if it doesn't happen, it will be extremely disappointing because, you know, populists would win, but I think the item will come back, right? Again, you, you know what is really funny? Like the president of the Senate, so right wing, but again, it's not a matter of political parties because it, like in, I'm talking about France here, it goes from the far, far right to the left. They're all surfing to you know, use like a, a sport expression on the same wave, you know, of anti-Muslim bigotry for political agenda, right? Because it's it's almost as if 
like French Muslim women want to participate, they're criticized for not integrating. But when they try to integrate, this is what happens. And it's like they can't win on any level. They cannot win. And I also find it extremely disturbing that French feminists, quote unquote, are using this and declaring what they believe a choice of a woman to wear a scarf is. They they, they are stating it's oppressive. You don't get to decide what someone else's clothing is. You don't get to be part. It's almost like saying, well, you can't be part of a French feminist movement if you wear a scarf. Well, you don't get that part of feminism is inherently letting people have that choice and they're not doing that. Mm-hmm. It's it's selective it's selective feminism. A couple of things. So I was saying the president of the Senate was declared about this case. We cannot make money on any on <laughs> everything. I'm like, hold on, a right wing conservative telling me he doesn't believe in capitalism and free market. That's original, okay. I mean, when it comes to Muslim B, when it comes to those kind of feminists, they're not feminists to me because you know it's really funny, especially on French media. Nobody invited a Muslim woman wearing a hijab, practicing sport, to at least ask for her opinion or two cents. Nobody. All of a sudden, all I saw were all of those so-called intellectual secularists, you know, like the people who want to make laicity state atheism, you know, or all of those ministers with a political agenda because we are having European elections soon, giving their opinion on something they know nothing about. And you know what? You know what? Those are the same people when Me Too happened in France with Balance Ton Port, when the Ligue du LOL happened in France, it's a scandal about male journalists harassing and targeting women, female journalists, uh, female people of color journalists, LGBT, for years. And those males now are editor-in-chief. And the scandal just happened. Those people, all of a sudden, are not feminist. Women are hysterical. Stop complaining. What? Well, you were raped, but I mean, you were drinking and you were wearing this short skirt. Look at the way you dress. I mean, have you seen your makeup? So in the end, it's broader, you know, what is going on with Muslim women, you can apply, it can happen, it is happening to every single woman, women's choice, women's right, women's freedom to decide what they want to do with their body. You want to wear a hijab, wear it, you're supposed to be able to do whatever you want. You want to remove or refuse to wear a hijab, don't do it. You you want to wear a long skirt, you want to practice surf, you want to practice football, you want to wear shirts, I mean, human dignity. For heaven's sake, it's 2019 and we are still having that kind of conversation, really? 2019? And, and regarding Muslim women who are trying really to be part of French society, I find it fascinating when we talk about integration, saying Muslims are not integrating. Muslim, you know, are not assimilating to our culture. They're not respecting our Republican values. I mean, the same people who are sending threats to employees because they're selling something they don't like. And when those women are trying to, we are rejecting them on those so-called Republican values. You know what? I'm French, born and raised there. The only Republican I know are liberty, equality, fraternity. And I'm not saying any of that. Mm-hmm. No, no, and I think that's a really strong point. And one thing that I wanted to remind viewers of, because it ties into the work that I do, is that although FIFA had uh, struck down a hijab ban in 2014, the FFF, which is the Fédération Française de Football, actually still has a ban in place, which is so bizarre, but unsurprising. But also, this is the Women's World Cup year. This is a year where women's football will be celebrated and 
And the backdrop is you actually have people like Annie Sujier, who's a so-called French feminist, self-declared, who was asking the International Olympic Committee to ban hijab from all Olympic events. Like this was a story that kind of went under the radar a couple of weeks ago. But it's so weird because on the one hand, you have places like FIFA and FIBA and now the AIBA, which is a boxing federation that are allowing and permitting hijab to go into those spaces of sport. But then you have places like France that's hosting the biggest women's football tournament in the last four years. And they're saying, we don't want it anywhere near us. And it's not just for players. It's for coaches. It's for officials. It's for a lot of things. And it's very upsetting because from my understanding during the World Cup, the FIFA rules will apply, which are more inclusive, but the background is still one of disdain. Yes. Uh, and, and you know what? I mean, if they keep going like this, it will fail. Uh, we live in a globalized world where we all connect each other. You know, this authorization by, you know, international federations who allow hijabs, allow women to practice a universal thing, which is sports, right? Whether it's football, basketball, whatever. So it's bringing people together. Sports is universal. If we, like what France is doing, like abusing this notion of laicity, trying to make it something it is not, we are going to hit a wall. Maybe we already are because it's not sustainable. It's absolutely not sustainable. We are going to fail. You know, we are losing. Yeah. Are there resistance? Are there resistance movements in France from Muslim communities to push back against this? They tried, but I mean, you have to understand that the rules are pretty clear here. So I'm, I'm not sure it's, it's going anywhere. To be honest, I think the biggest protest movement happened abroad. Even though locally, you still have people trying to make a point about it, right? But it, it's very tough. It's extremely tough. It, it's really, if I may use the expression, it's hot potato. <laughs> like you're literally walking on fire <laughs> here. So, you, you, you know, and that's why I was saying when we started this conversation that it's a very, you know, the French exception. Uh, you have to navigate through, you have to find balances that basically, you know, yeah, it's all about finding a balance. But honestly, like banning any religious science for every nation which are going to participate, it's not going to end well. And I'm not even talking about the diplomatic level. Because trust me, honestly, do you believe that public authorities in France will actually ban religious science for certain countries they have contracts with, you know, or interest with? I mean, come on, come on. Like, yeah. you know, in yeah. the end, you have the discourse and you have the reality, you know. And the reality is, I mean, we have seen it in the last World Cup. I mean, it was not w with women, but, you know, when... You have a Muslim or a Christian or Jew, whatever, mar like marking a goal or something, winning a competition and like raising his hands like towards the sky or doing the cross sign or, you know, like two prayers or whatever. Who cares? We won. <laughs> You know what I mean? It's sports, it's victory. You know, as long as, again, a balance has to be found. Like some players would do Ramadan. Again, usually coaches don't care as long as it does not disturb, you know, uh, the whole process, you know, the training, the competition, etc., etc. And so far, I mean, come on, France won the last World Cup and there were Muslims among, you know. <laughs> again, theory and practice, like there is a discourse, there are speeches, there are people who are trying to fulfill an agenda, a very dirty one, if you ask me. 
And in the end, you have the people level and on the local level. On, I mean, things are more nuanced, I think. Or maybe I'm not, I'm too optimistic. Maybe I don't know. No, I, I love your optimism. I think it's warranted and necessary because this is a lot to, and I really do want to thank you because sorting out through this and you giving us the history and the context is really important, particularly when, you know, your observations that this comes down to control of Muslim women's bodies and, you know, people inserting their opinion where it's not warranted or necessary is, is, is key. And that's what I've seen as well as it's very much these type of sanctions on clothing choice and sport are are very much about rooted in misogyny and, and and violent patriarchy and controlling women's bodies. And this is the case that we see in France. But I do really want to thank you for being on Burn It All Down. We could talk about this for hours. And I mean, you and I specifically could. But I, I do want to thank you so much for giving us, you know, the backstory around this and giving us a, a hope because I think that's also really important. And uh, where can our listeners find your work? Rim Sarah? Oh, so you easily can find me on uh, Twitter. I often comment on the situation. It's at Rimsara, R-I-M-S-A-R-A-H. Just Google my name and you will find like my LinkedIn. I have a, a blog as well on Medium at Rimsara as well. And just don't hesitate to reach me out if you have any question. I will happily answer. And thank you for your incredible work. Really, this is so needed. We need to give a voice to the voiceless. We need to open the conversation, even difficult conversations. And it's an honor for me to have contributed, and I hope it was helpful. Oh, it was definitely helpful. And thank you so much. Merci beaucoup, and we'll talk soon. <laughs> Thanks. Bye. Merci beaucoup. Thank you. <laughs> Bye-bye. All right, Lindsay, tell us something about the NBA. Yeah, so we've only got about what, a month of the regular season left, uh, give or take. And, you know, Eastern Conference, we've got the Milwaukee Bucks and the Toronto Raptors, Raptors kind of leading the way. The Pacers are also hanging in there in third place, even without Victor Oladipo, who, of course, went down with a devastating injury. And, of course, in the Western Conference, you've got the Golden State Warriors, the Denver Nuggets, the Oklahoma City Thunder at the top of the standings. One team, though, that is not really anywhere to be found in the playoff standings right now is the Los Angeles Lakers, LeBron's team. They are four and a half games back from that eighth spot in the Western Conference, which is the magic number to get. And those teams that are above them are the clip, right, you know, that are in the seventh and eighth spots are the Spurs and the Clippers, not exactly teams you expect to kind of fold going down the stretch. So one of the biggest stories for me is that we could see a playoffs without LeBron James. And I don't count him out yet because he's one of those players that, you know, it's like Serena. Like, I don't believe Serena has lost a match until like she's walking off the court. (laughs) Uh, no, No matter what is happening during the match, because she's earned that belief in LeBron James, I believe, has earned that belief. But let's be honest, sometimes that belief uh, makes you ignore reality a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's really something like LeBron James has not missed. It's been 14 years since he missed the playoffs and he has pulled very not great teams into the playoffs with him, sometimes all the way to the finals. So there is this kind of thing where you're like, he'll just do it again. But he was injured this season. He was out. The team couldn't do it without him. They went six and 11 when he was out as of Saturday morning. 
538 gave the Lakers a 14% chance of making it to the playoffs. And then last night, Saturday night, they lost to the Phoenix Suns, who are possibly the worst team, (laughs) are definitely the worst team in the NBA. They don't even have a general manager. Like, they're kind of their own spiraling (laughs) mess. Uh, So the fact that, like, of all the teams for the Lakers to have lost to last night to sort of really show us that we're probably going to miss a LeBron in the playoffs... The Suns were the best one to really bring that home. Lynn, do you have something quick? Yeah, I do just want to say, of course, we have to put this in context. LeBron missed a significant amount of time with injury, which is when the team really went to free fall. But now that he's back, like you said, they're still losing to the Suns. So it's yeah. not like uh, it's, it doesn't seem that a switch has been flipped. Shereen, you went to a game this week, yes? It was amazing. I <laughs> I have wanted, I've actually, I've been living in Toronto for over 20 years and I've never seen a Raptors game in <gasps> person. And this oh was, God. I know it's shocking to a lot of people because I really have loved them. Like it's like, you know, I remember T-Mac. I remember Vince Carter. In fact, my eldest son, somebody gifted him a Vince Carter jersey, like a tiny baby one. During all this time, I was absolutely in love with the Spurs and I make no mistake about that. But like just have never been gone was a mixture of mothering four tiny children and you know it's expensive to go to games and whatnot and it's quite far from where I live but you know that being said I went it was absolutely wonderful it was I saw Kawhi Leonard who I refer to as my son I saw him there he was cool (laughs) calm I think he made eye contact with me I'm gonna believe that he did I also think that Serge Ibaka is incredibly underrated Jeremy Lin took the floor it wasn't just a nod to the city that they're in. Okay, because Toronto is incredibly diverse, but the floor was incredibly diverse. Pascal Siakam is a wonder boy. He is incredibly versatile. He's agile. He's smart. The game IQ, their passing with Marcus All now on the floor was really reminiscent for me. And I know I always try to draw positive parallels to the holy triad of Tony Parker, Manu Ginobili, and my fave. Tim Duncan, the passing of this team was incredible. The rhythm, it reminded me of soccer. That's how good it was. And I want to say that, you know, the leadership and the the camaraderie, and it was just, it was so smart. The vibe was incredible. The food was totally overpriced, but amazing. I had so (laughs) much fun. And watching them, I went to this game a little bit nervous because last time the Celtics and the Raptors met on the Celtics won. Yeah, I was going to ask who they were playing. They were playing the so Celtics. The, and, and they won. The and Raptors they, won. They won by a lot. They 20'd them. And, okay. I, and it was like, I was nervous. But, you know, Kyrie Irving notwithstanding, he's a little bit whiny. I love Little Mountain, but he is a little bit whiny. And it was sort of like there was no competition. They were like by the second half, it was over. And, you know, all the ben- the, the, the uh, starters were being benched. Like they were, the bench players were out and up. And what was even more exciting is that everybody that touched the floor from the Raptors scored. So everybody was on the board with points, which is really exciting. And I want to say that I know it's inconceivable to some that the Raptors could win a ring, but if this is a foreshadow the playoff Raptors, I am so excited. And just to touch back on the, on the Lakers, my youngest son was like, oh, somebody said that LeBron is, is, is no good and the Lakers are garbage. I'm like, you know, don't disrespect LeBron in my house or you'll be in trouble. And he was quoting Stephen A. Smith. And I'm like, first of all, just listen to burn it all down for your sports info. Don't listen to anyone else. But he was saying that, that that's the word on the street. People are starting to trash LeBron. And that makes me feel sad because I think LeBron is yeah, a stand up guy. And he's like, it is like, I mean, are we <laughs> like forgetting? You can never, 
Yeah. <laughs> are we are we forgetting that, you know, he, how, how long can this person hold a dynasty? Like, how long does he have to carry things? And fine, the Lakers are struggling. They're going to struggle. Like, I mean, Cleveland struggled for a while. Like, let's stop the, the hate and just focus all our positive energy and that we're getting from the Raptors. I love this team so much. Like, <laughs> Rick Nurse is just, yeah, so good. He, oh, so good. Brenda? I don't follow the NBA very closely, but what I would say is that the one thing that's been kind of cool for me just as a Detroit Pistons person is Andre Drummond and Blake Griffin. I don't know if anyone has seen them finally sort of look like they can play together. But, you know, uh, Andre Drummond was out with a concussion and in January. And I don't know. I have nothing technically to say about it except to say that they seem like all of a sudden they're like teammates in some cute and charismatic way and so i'm looking forward i'm hoping they're going to the playoffs together like that brenda i'm shocked you're not more of an nba fan you have the knicks in your backyard so you <laughs> but know i'm from detroit so since <laughs> bill lambeer it's been because the knicks are so bad <laughs> <laughs> right well i do usually like things that are so bad they're good you know like the mets and stuff it's not i don't it's, know if the knicks are there yet. no no it's sad Shireen? Um, I just on my extended Raptors rant, I just wanted to say D. Wade's buzzer beater was all over the news. <gasps> yes. And I think it's really important to talk <laughs> yeah. about that, like especially if it's his last year. He like that shot was incredible. I think I watched it about 50 mm-hmm. times. I do want to draw attention to Kawhi Leonard's buzzer beater against the Portland Trailblazers and just say that we love D. Wade and we give him that respect, but let's not forget the other beautiful buzzer beaters out there because they're really I mean, Lindsay still talks about Enrique Ogumwale's buzzer beater. And I think she always will, rightly so. So let's not forget the glory that Kawhi Leonard can give us. Okay, Kawhi's buzzer beater was not pretty. It was one of the Okay, you know what, Lindsay? It doesn't have to be beautiful all the time. I know that we expect that, but let's just let's just draw attention. It was such an ugly shot. D Wade, like the it was the hair and the beautiful Miami Heat uniform that he was wearing. And it was just ridiculous like there's no other i am an old lady and i resist watching videos on the internet and so i it took a lot for me to finally watch it and then i watched it like 20 times in a row because i couldn't believe it so that was very fun (laughs) it it will be sad when wade is is no longer playing basketball Now it's time for everyone's favorite segment. We like to call it the burn pile, where we pile up all the things we've hated this week in sports and set them aflame. I'm going to go first. And mine is gymnastics again, 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 again. It's like everyone at the top of the sport is garbage. Each and every one. This time it's Libu Charkashina, the president of the International Gymnastic Federation's Athletes Commission, which is a commission that exists to represent gymnasts. Or it's supposed to be, at least. According to Devorah Myers at Deadspin, Charkashina was doing an interview in Belarus where she said about cases of sexual abuse, quote, I admit it's possible to believe that, yes, there are such cases in the sports, but not the amount of specifically the sports cases that have been thrown at us as an opportunity to earn money on that or get revenge for the old insults to shame the names of the coaches or someone else because, well, this is America. They know how to make money. You need to understand this. End quote. Oh, yes, that old truism that the way to get rich is to come forward as an abuse survivor. Glad to hear someone representing gymnasts is replaying that oldie but goodie for us. In her post about this at Deadspin, Myers makes the point that 
Charkashina's remarks are particularly terrible because of, quote, the Athletes Commission's relationship with the new Gymnastics Ethics Foundation, which was created to address the issues raised by Nasser's abuse of hundreds of women and girls. So yet another arena where abuse survivors in gymnastics will probably doubt who it is that's looking out for them, and if they're even taking seriously this problem within their sport. Of course, it's not only people in gymnastics who are insensitive to survivors of sexual violence who assume their attention-seeking or money-grubbing, but... Once again, gymnastics has shown us how even when you have one of the worst, most extreme cases of this kind of systemic violence, these terrible beliefs about victims will hang on by their fingernails if necessary. I'm so tired of it all, but we're going to keep calling it out as it keeps happening. So burn it. Burn the shit. Burn. All right. Shireen, what are you burning? This is a bit of a tough one and a content warning and trigger warning for people listening because it's really tough. I'm going to talk about Jonathan Ismail Diaby, who is a hockey player in Quebec. Now, this was really, the story was really hard to read because of what he endured. He was playing a game and in Quebec, and it basically he was recounting and it was reported how fans, when he went to the penalty box, fans had actually insulted him and his family. And this is a quote of him to the CBC saying, other people were saying, you big N-word. And you baboon telling my dad to go back home. This is what he told uh, the press. And at one point I was in the penalty box and I pulled my shirt over my face because I was almost crying. Now, he plays for a minor league. He was a potential for the Nashville Predators. He's played in the NHL as well. And he he wrote a piece that we're going to link to the show. It's called a Point of View for CBC News as well. And he recounts what happens. And just the whole piece is really, really sad. One of the parts that also got me is he said, someone passed their hand through my father's hair. And the insults towards my family continue. And he ended up leaving and he ended up crying. And it's a semi-pro hockey league. And I totally understand that, you know, the fans may not be as finessed or mature, but this is completely unacceptable. This is somebody in this arena. This transpired in Saint-Jérôme in Quebec. And he was shaken to the core. And this is clearly an environment. And one of the most egregious things is while he's sitting in the penalty box, people were like pulling up pictures of monkeys on their phones and waving them at him. And like, this is really violent. It's so upsetting. Like I, I wasn't even sure if I could talk about it without crying because it was so offensive to me. I felt very similar when I read about Andrew Johnson getting his dreads cut off at a wrestling match. Like this is, it shakes you. It shakes one to the core to hear about this. And, you know, when he said he cried like publicly, he said hockey has never made me cry before. So one of the worst things about this, and I'll wrap up quickly, was that initially when those racist fans were security went to them, they didn't ask them to leave. They just asked them to change seats. So not only were the security personnel completely ill-equipped and unprepared to manage this, that made the family, the Diabies, feel worse and it compounded their pain. So I want to burn that. I want to burn the fact that the Quebec League did not speak out immediately against it. I want to burn the fact that this happens. It's considered acceptable in 2019 and it hasn't changed. I want to offer solidarity to the DIBs and all those players that have to endure this. So burn. 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 Brenda, what is on your burn pile? 
Mine is the classically sexist and stupid interview that was given by Ramon Jesurun, who is the president of Colombian Football Federation, I guess is the right translation. He was asked because there's been a series of, of terrible things happening in, in Colombian women's soccer. Uh, he was asked about that, including the sexual harassment cases that have been brought forward by two players from the U-17 national team. We discussed it last week on the show. And this was his response, quote, and and it's translated, quote, the Colombian women's senior team will always exist, among other things, because if we do not have it, they disaffiliate us. It's an obligation and we have to do it for credibility. It is being treated not because of the problem to see how we could maybe uh, make a reconfiguration of players, end of quote. So not only does that sound intimidating for people that come forward, but it's also just terrible. He went on to explain that the difference in the conditions and treatment of men and women's soccer in Colombia is because of the different length of history and marketability, thus showing himself both to be ignorant and greedy. Women and men's soccer in Colombia started at the same time. I absolutely cannot with this man. They have not responded to these U-17 accusations in any kind of a decent way. He forgave the owner of a club that a few months ago referred to women's soccer as a petri dish of lesbianism and did nothing to sanction him and has let the Women's Professional League go to shit. And the whole reason for having it is that Colombia was going to try, evidently, at some point to make a bid for the 2023 Women's World Cup, which has never been in a Comebol country. I know that a friend of the show, Moya Dad, would like it to go to Australia, but I think it's time to have it somewhere in the global south that doesn't have to buy a bunch of like stadium resources personally. But that's just me. I, I guess she could make a, a case that Australia is in the global south. <laughs> anyway, uh, so now that's all gone. You know, the whole structure has just collapsed what looked promising. So I want to burn this interview. I want to burn the reaction of the Colombian Football Federation who continue to neglect their women players and treat them like garbage. Burn. 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 All right, Lindsay, what do you want to torch? So let's talk about USA powerlifting. So USA Powerlifting has a ban on transgender competitors. This came about specifically over powerlifter J.C. Cooper, a trans woman from Minnesota. Well, the powerlifting community at large is not happy about this ban. And there are allies who are stepping up to make a difference. Um, Earlier, well, I guess not this month. In February, <laughs> at USA Powerlifting's Minnesota State Championships, 14 powerlifters took the platform for their competition, but didn't lift. Instead, they they let their time expire. This was a protest of the band saying, if she can't lift, we're not going to lift either. Well, this week, a newsletter from USA Powerlifting emailed to members about a message in regards to members' rights. 
said that a powerlifting meet is not the place to protest political and social issues. And it said, quote, it is unsportsmanlike to not take into account the other lifters that train for weeks, if not months, for events and simply want to compete and have a good time. A good percentage of new lifters there were nervous enough just to step on the platform without the added pressure of having to deal with protest. So essentially, USA Powerlifting is now banning these protests and threatening the people who are participating in these protests. So I would like to throw onto the burn pile both the ban on transgender competitors and the ban on these protests in support of transgender competitors from USA Powerlifting. It is time to rethink this entire thing. But first, onto the burn pile. Burn. After all that burning, it's time to celebrate some remarkable women in sports this week with our Badass Woman of the Week segment. First up, our honorable mentions. Shout out to University of Manitoba football player Reina Izuka, who is attempting to become the first woman to play U-Sports football. U-Sports is the national governing body of university sport in Canada. The Football Federation of Mauritania is setting up a national women's program for the first time ever. We look forward to seeing them compete in AFCON and watching them grow. U.S. women's hockey team captain, Olympic gold medalist, and Kaepernickator Kendall Coyne Schofield will be joining the NHL network as a commentator. Former Burn It All Down Badass Woman of the Week, Clarissa Shields, will become the first woman to have an all-access special leading up to her fight on Showtime. University of Texas women's swimming and diving team won their seventh straight Big 12 championship. Arizona Senator Kirsten Cinema broke 13 hours and set a personal record at Ironman New Zealand. To be clear, an Ironman competition is a 2.4-mile swim, followed by a 112-mile bike race, and then a 26.2-mile run that's a marathon. The senator did that in just under 13 hours. Congratulations to the New Mexico State women's basketball team, which won its fifth straight Western Athletic Conference WAC regular season title. Okay, from the Indian Express, quote, the Marlebun Cricket Club has installed a new honors board, which will recognize achievements in one-day internationals and women cricketers. On Saturday, the Maryland women's basketball team claimed its first outright Big Ten title in three years. Arkansas's Danielle Gibson hit the home run cycle on Saturday night. That means this softball-hitting rock star got a solo home run? a two-run home run, a three-run home run, and a grand slam in the same game. Wow. Amazing. (laughs) Last week, during quarterfinals of the Division II Central Intercollegiate Athletic Association, the CIAA Conference Tournament, Virginia Union sophomore Sharika McNeil tied the CIAA Women's Basketball Tournament scoring record when she hit 59 points. (laughs) All right. And can I get a drum roll, please? Our badass woman of the week is Tony Harris. She is the first woman at a skill position, so aka not a kicker, to sign a letter of intent in college football and has accepted a scholarship. Next year, the Detroit native, who has been playing safety at East Los Angeles College in California for the last two years, will attend Central Methodist University in Missouri. She has said her goal is to play in the NFL. She's on her way. Congratulations, Tony. All right. What is good, y'all? Lindsay, what's good with you? Well, 
I assume we're all going to say New York. <laughs> so, uh, yes, you know, for sure, going to New York and getting to see all of you this week. And look, I lived in New York for nine and a half years. I went to NYU for college and stayed there for most of my 20s. But I haven't been back in three and a half years. So I'm really excited also to just, you know, get back to a city that Goodness, do I have significant life memories, both good and bad. (laughs) But yeah, and also I dyed my hair and it is now magenta. It's got some magenta hues in there. And I'm, uh, you know... Just trying to draw a little more attention to myself, you know? It's all good. good. <laughs> so those are those are the good things in my life. Awesome. Brenda? Yeah, for those of you who want to see Lindsay's hair, you can come on March 8th, <laughs> 2 to 4. <laughs> or live taping. You know, obviously, I'm really excited about New York. It's a little a little ag- extra sort of nervous anxiety on my part to, to host on Thursday. I want everything to go well. But when I get stressed, I watch highlights and i have to say i'm really happy to see that Lionel messi hates sergio ramos as much as i do um he in the in the classico ramos elbowed him in the face and you have to understand that just because messi doesn't dive doesn't mean he's not the most foul player beside neymar he probably is so he rarely gets angry, and I've never seen him so mad. <laughs> and I was so excited. It felt like very cathartic. I don't know if you, Shireen, who also hates Sergio Ramos, <laughs> felt as excited as I did, but it was nice to see him like kind of get up in his face. I, I love our weekly Mezzi updates. Um, those are good for me. Shireen. I can't help but say New York City. I'm very excited. Um, traveling, it gives me some, not gives me some, it makes me anxious because of being a brown Muslim woman flying. But going there is going, I just feel like I'm going to cry the whole time. So I'm bringing extra jobs to cry into, which is fine. I probably won't, probably will. But I do want to add this fun little snippet. I took my son to, who had a volleyball tournament yesterday and they got silver so shout out to Saladin he was at, we were at Niagara College and he did well they wanted gold but that's okay anyway I took him to get his hair cut at one of these young barbershop places where there's like 10 screens showing basketball and whatnot so when I went to pay I you know I said to the guy who cut his hair he was very young and he was like 15 and I was like wow good for you like running this hustle or whatever and he says to my son is this your sister so my son was mortified and every time this happens to me I broadcast it on the whatsapp group I have with my children because they love hearing me talk about how much that how young I look and stuff but it was extra special because it had never happened with this particular child because he's 14 always happens with my older two not with him so I'm slowly working down the line so they understand and so I was my battery died at that point otherwise I probably would have tweeted it but so now I can just share it with all the flamethrowers I was very excited about that it made my weekend how big of a tip did you give this guy so he got a very big tip from me and i almost wanted to like pat him on the head and be like yours and you know what i told my son your barber is a very smart young man he's very smart so that was that was really fun for me and it's just it's fun like i'm really happy being 42 but it's nice to say that you know i could be like younger so it's fun that's it I'm being like totally narcissistic, but it was fun. And I also hate Sergio Ramos and love that Messi squared up with him. That was brilliant. Thank you for sending me that, Brenda. Oh, I love you all. Of course, New York is what's good, though. I will say it's going to be cold. And <laughs> <laughs> I did joke that I wasn't going to make the trip. I did. Oh, I don't even want to tell you. You all live in the cold. So 
I always look like such a weakling, but I have I've got my thermal clothing ready to go. I'm also very excited. One of the things that I'm excited about is that I really want to go to Milk Bar. We don't have them here. I loved her chef's table. I just recently bought her cook her bake book, which I have yet to make something out of. But I'm excited to go to Milk Bar for the first time when I'm in New York. So that's all my that's my one thing other than hanging out with my friends. I did want to mention that the other night, Aaron and I watched a documentary that you can I think it's on Hulu and it's also on PBS. It's called Minding the Gap. And it is a documentary that spans at least a decade in time. And it's about these three boys who grow into men. They're from Rockford, Illinois, which is a very poor place, has a fair amount of crime. It's about their friendship and it starts out that way. And it's a lot about skateboarding. It is a gorgeously shot movie. Like the skateboarding scenes are spectacular, but it then morphs very subtly and in a really smart and like heart-wrenching way into a film about domestic violence and racism and trauma and how these things perpetuate themselves over and over again, generation to generation. And I feel like I keep thinking about it over and over again. It was incredibly powerful. And that's like Minding the Gap is the name of the documentary. And I just highly recommend it. That's it for this week's episode. Thank you all for joining us. Not that you could, but don't forget that we will be doing our first live show this Friday, March 8th at 2 p.m. at the Stabile Student Center in Pulitzer Hall on Columbia's campus. We hope to see you there. You can find Burn It All Down on Facebook and Twitter. If you want to subscribe to Burn It All Down, you can do so on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, and TuneIn. For information about the show and links and transcripts for each episode, check out our website, burnitalldownpod.com. We also have all the information about this Friday's event on there as well. You can also email us from the site to give us feedback. We'd love to hear from you. If you enjoyed this week's show, do me a favor and share it with two people in your life whom you think would be interested in Burn It All Down. Also, please rate the show at whichever place you listen to it. The ratings really do help us reach new listeners who need this feminist sports podcast but don't yet know it exists. One more thank you to our patrons. We couldn't do this without you. You can sign up to be a monthly sustaining donor to Burn It All Down at patreon.com slash burn it all down. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash burn it all down. That's it for Burn It All Down until next week when we'll be coming to you live. And I'm so-